Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. All right, guys, we're live. This is episode 64 with Jason Bailey. Jason is a retired sergeant major, served in Ranger Battalion and an Army Special Mission Unit, and... Uh, by the way, I'm Jack Murphy, here with co-host Dave Park. This is the Team House, same show as always. Um, I do apologize if Jason's audio sounds a little spotty tonight. Um, that's totally our fault. Um, we're having some weird issue with that that Dave and I will figure out a little bit later on. But we improvised, and we're rolling right into it. So uh, here we are. And welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Jack. I really appreciate you guys having me. It means a lot. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, you know, I guess, Dave, do you want to start off asking uh, Jason about his origin story? That's kind of the tradition on the show. Yes. Uh, being that Jack and I are both <laughs> comic book geeks, and, and every good hero has an origin story, and, you know, you are, you are certainly one of our nation's heroes, so we would love to hear your origin story. Like, who were you growing up? Uh, what, what, what was your childhood like, and, and what led you uh, to become a soldier in the first place? question. I don't, this is, I don't talk about this very much just because it's uh, ancient history. Um, the um, uh, Born in Minnesota, originally moved to Oregon when I was a young boy. Grew up in Oregon, in Salem. And, um, uh, you know, small family, three, three kids. I grew up with the oldest one. And um, eventually, uh, um, about the time I got into the ninth grade in high school, I realized that uh, I had just enough physical prowess to make the football team and the basketball team and the baseball team and then sit on the bench for the whole season for all three of them. And so probably about late uh, freshman year or so, I started working. And once I started working, I ended up with, with uh, three jobs by the time I was a senior. And then um, graduated high school and the, the two jobs that I had, one was in the daytime working at a Christmas tree farm. They grow a lot of Christmas trees up in Oregon. And, um, uh, they laid me off because we harvested all the trees, you know, for the year by Thanksgiving and then the supermarket job that I had in the evenings, um, they fired me right after Christmas, I think, maybe, um, well, it would have been late January because I was in the Army three weeks later. So, I, uh, that was 1984. I, I walked into the recruiter's office and basically said, hey, I'm um, interested in going to the Army. I want to fly helicopters. <clears throat> There's a whole 
the long story behind that, which is kind of, uh, you know, 19-year-old young man's uh, silliness, I realize now. <laughs> but it, it got me where I was going, and um, I did, my only stipulation when I when I talked to the recruiter said I want to be gone uh, as soon as possible because I don't want to have enough time to change my mind and then, and then try to get out of it. So, um, slash the bang, I was gone in three weeks. Um, infantry basic and, you know, uh, advanced training all that down at Fort Benning. Um, then I, I, the only thing that made, and so I had nobody mentoring, I didn't know anybody in the military, and, uh, you know, nobody could have, like, given me any sensible advice, so I, I said, hey, you want to be an infantry guy? And I said, sure, and then, um, um, how about a contract to go get stationed in Germany? And I thought, oh, that'd be pretty cool. I never really traveled, so I did that, and ended up in Germany my first two years in a mechanized infantry unit in the 8th Infantry Division, which has since been deactivated. Um, I learned, actually learned a few things though that I carried with me, um, you know, just uh, kind of a lot of versions of what what not to do uh, in the Army. And, and, uh, but I will say that I had some good, some really good uh, junior and mid-grade NCOs. I had a superb company commander who through a series of events, um, I ended up uh, driving the vehicle, you know, the old track vehicle M113 personnel carrier. I drove that thing for a couple of years and um, stopped. I drove from a two liter and then I ended up driving from a company commander. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty motivated, pretty squeaky clean young kid, you know, motivated, wanted to do the right thing. And, and uh, probably within six or eight months, I realized that I had come to the wrong place in Army because I wasn't going to be challenged. And within a few months after that, I ended up driving for my company commander first, the track vehicle, and then, <coughs> me, and then uh, I ended up driving his, uh, his Jeep around, you know, doing different reforger exercises in Germany, the big uh, return of forces in Germany, that's what that acronym means for people who don't know that, because I don't know that they do it anymore. Um, but anyway, um, he had previously been a platoon leader. Uh, in 2nd Rangers Battalion at Fort Lewis. And since I grew up in Oregon, that seemed like it made the most sense to me because it was only about four hours away from where, where my family was when I was, you know, at this point, probably 20. And um, so I made that, made that my goal and um, got to, uh, uh, and left Germany and ended up somehow with a, a, a airborne school slot. So I left Germany in December of 1986. I was two and a half years there. Went to airborne school because I put in the right paperwork and it got approved. And then they sent me from airborne school straight to Fort Knox, which is, um, this is way back when Fort Knox was the center for armor, not like it is now. And they didn't have a fair, a fair shoot on the entire base of Fort Knox. And, you know, the guy looked at my orders when I showed up and he was like, what are you doing here? You just came from airborne school. And it's like, where they sent me, you know, um, the, the paperwork was supposed to, so let me go back to when I submitted the paperwork, I was supposed to go to, my intent was to put in an airborne school and then work in the school and do both back to back. And then I was going to be in my reenlistment window and I could uh, reenlist, you know, so I ended up at Fort Knox instead. And uh, I got assigned there in January of 87. Uh, by April of 87, I'm standing in formation one morning, and my first sergeant announces that we have four ranger school slots for the battalion. Who wants to go? And um, 
I was shocked to, to see that mine was the only hand in the whole company that went ahead. I'm not kidding you. Um, which, which kind of solidified for me the fact that I had come into the wrong place in the army by, by sheer accident, just you know, kind of like what it was. So um, I went to Ranger School, uh, I don't know, July, August, September, something like that, of 87. Managed, managed somehow by the grace of God and just get my teeth to, to pass without getting recycled or hurt. Um, and then, so by this time, I go back to my unit at Fort Knox, and within uh, within two months, maybe three months, so by, by October of 87, they sent me to the E6 board to get promoted, and I passed that board, and then, and then my reenlistment window came open, and I talked to the reenlistment guy, and since I was airborne qualified and ranger qualified, he said, well, you can reenlist for any station, any duty station of choice that you want, because you're, a, you know, soon to be E6 with a the Victor skill identifier, right? For people who know what that means, the Army gives you an MOS and then 11 Bravo means infantry. And then Jack, are you to explain this or people pretty much too good? I mean, we have a wide variety of guests, people who probably are 11 Victors, all the way to people who are, you know, a 16 year old in, in high school who has no idea. So, yeah, so no, it's, it's good that you're explaining yeah. this. <clears throat> I, I just don't like to bore the people with a bunch of minutia that they already know. But anyway, so. Since I had this little letter designated that the Army gives you if you're a Airborne Ranger qualified person, you get a, I think it's a V for Victor. And um, so I said, okay, well, I'll re-enlist and go to Fort Lewis, Washington. If you get me to Fort Lewis, I will I will get myself over to the Ranger Battalion. That was, that was, you know, kind of okay, fine. I, that was me kind of, you know, like nice handing myself, you're going to do this, right? So. <laughs> Pretty much. The, the good news was that I, I still had uh, pretty good contact with my former company commander. So, so let me stop for a second. And, and uh, um, I, I doubt very seriously if that guy uh, will ever listen to this. But his name was uh, Victor Jarrett, and uh, I believe he retired as a lieutenant colonel, maybe as a Fulbert 06. I'm not sure. Um, really, really superb leader. I, I loved working for that guy. You know, I, I don't know what he went on to do in his career. I kept touching him for three or four years. This was before cell phones and texting, so it was much more difficult. And I, I think I am connected with him on LinkedIn or Facebook or something. I don't know. But, but anyway, uh, Mr. Jarrett, if you're out there listening to this anywhere, I owe you a huge uh, thanks. Uh, for the, so so he, uh, Ben, Captain Jarrett, gave me really good uh, mentoring. And basically, he gave me the phone number to the battalion headquarters at Fort Lewis, and he said, you call this number, you're going to speak to Mrs. Brunson on the phone, and you tell her you want to make an appointment with the command sergeant major, who was uh, a local woman in Leon Guerrero at the time. Probably anybody who's listening to this ever spent the time. He went on to be the regimental sergeant major, I believe, and uh, he was a legend in the, in the regiment at the time. And so I called and made the appointment, and I got my orders, and went and spent, uh, or something, I got that back, I went, I went back to Oregon and, and uh, spent about a month on the ground in Oregon over Christmas, I, I got married to my, to my still wife, we're coming up on 33 years, oh, congrats. And, uh, and I ordered to go to Fort Lewis and, and that was it, you know, with a plan to get to second bat, and uh, long story short, I, that, that all worked out, they, they, uh, they hired me and sent me to Rope, which is, uh, not called rope anymore. I think we changed the name of it. Now it's um, RASP um, too, but yeah, back in the day it was rope. 
Yeah. So, you know, like when you show up in the RAD as an NCO, they send you to school to make sure that you're not a, you know, you can do road marches and tie knots and perform, you know, all this other stuff. So I did that and ended up at Second Bat. Um, spent four years there, got promoted to E6. Um, went to Airborne School, excuse me, Jump Master School, I'm sorry, went to Jump Master School. Um, uh, I was there during the time when we did the Rio Hato uh, jump into Panama. I did not get a jump, I don't have a gold uh, jump point. That's because I was working a staff job in the S3 air shop at the time. And, uh, the exact opposite of Victor Jarrett was my boss at the time. And, and, uh, uh, would not let me jump. That's a, that's a whole other story. I don't I don't really talk about too much because um, then I have to bring up that guy's name and then I have to bring up the fact that I have like a bunch of the face. <laughs> look like an ass. So so we we won't we won't talk about that. And, and uh, there, there's that's like an hour or two long discussion. I probably never do that publicly. But, but anyway, um, uh, got I got a really really good squad leader time there. I really enjoyed being in the range of the giants. Uh, I've enjoyed Fort Lewis a lot, and then um, so, I went to went to selection. I went to selection the first time and didn't make it, and I went I went back again in '92 and I got selected that time and then I went to Fort Bragg and never left. I'm still there now. <laughs> so, so a couple of Central North Carolina area. So. A couple things. So you you went to Ranger Battalion the hard way. Like, at no point in time did you ever have a contract, at no point in time did you ever have a guarantee. You just kind of, like, rolled the dice a couple of times and and managed to get yourself there. That's correct. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I walked in as an E5 promotable, which is, which is, you know, the, the guys who grew up there and got raised in the giant as a private would tell you that I got over it there, right? I, I'm sure I did because I didn't have to go through that abuse that they did. I mean, you know, I'll take the hit on that, but I'll also, you know, it wasn't my fault. I had no idea. But, right. right. Yeah. And, and in the first four years to figure out what the, where the path was that I wanted to walk, let alone. Right. And this, this is before the information age where, you know, like everybody knows everything now and you know, who, you can go online anywhere and find the steps you need to take and what you need to talk to the recruiter about or things like, things like that. I mean, this was, a, this was a big, right. this, all this is kind of a mystery back, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, before the internet, before widespread computers and stuff like that. So, uh, and you know, you talk yeah, about exactly. Um, so you talk about going to battalion as a promotable E five with a Ranger tab. Now, for our viewers who don't know, um, in Ranger battalion, because he talks about growing up there, um, most people go to uh, Ranger battalion as a private, and then you know, and then gain their ranks while they're there. When you go as an NCO, uh, they call you an import, right? And and it's That's right. yep. and it, and it's doubly hard to prove your. I mean, you have to prove yourself twice as much. Uh, I mean, or did you find that that you had to you know work twice yeah. as hard to prove yourself? Yes. Um, so so they do call you an import, um, and I knew that people thought that about me, and I you know nobody ever called to me called me to my face. Um, but you know, you know the deal, and then uh, I mean, you you know the deal is what it is while you're there, even though nobody's saying it to you. And then um, to to um, a couple key points to what you just said. So you know, I show up there, and I, and I know when I when I when I walked in, and it's like there there's a there's a 
you guys know the, the whole deal about the the six stanzas of the Ranger Creek. There's a there's a paragraph for each letter of the word Ranger, right? And uh, all my former squad and platoon mates and all the people I know from when I was in second bat would probably be, you know, I couldn't reset this for you right now if I had to. I, 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 I would cross words from one paragraph to the other and it would be all confusing and stupid. But the, the running joke was, right, there's a seventh stanza to the Ranger Creed, which is, once a leg, always a leg. <laughs> right? So, and, you know, meaning, meaning, when you go to basic, as an infantry guy, and you go straight to airborne school, and then you go straight to the Ranger indoctrination program, or whatever they call it, a RASP or something like that. Um, Jack, you said it earlier, I didn't catch it, I'm sorry. RASP too, yeah. But, yeah, and so, when you go through that process, you basically spend your, you know, the youngest days in the Army already as an airborne qualified your paratrooper. So, you know, those guys get to look down on the rest of us who, who didn't do that for the first, you know, right off the very first chance. And, and you know, whatever. Um, you know, I had that, I had that, uh, you know, a couple guys maybe said that to me once or twice here or there, but I had, I had one, Thing going, two, I had two things going for me um, that that uh, that helped me out. Uh, one is I was um, I was a little skinny dude. I think I walked into the ring at the time at six foot and about 155 pounds, maybe 158 pounds, and I could run like the wind. Um, and and I have a really good work ethic. And I, I don't. There's there's a couple of guys I've ever met. You know, well. A whole bunch of guys in my building at Fort Bragg, I'll, I'll tell you that. They can outwork me to keep up with me, but very few, few people outside of there can. I mean, so, so if you can do that in your room, it takes some abuse and just put your nose to the grinder and, and just work. And then it's like, hey, yeah, whatever. You guys can call me up. Seven stands at the range of three all day long. That's fine. No big deal. Um, and then, you know, when you... Enough time passes and, you know, they see that you can learn and adapt and you know you're I, I think you're a good jump master and you're responsible and you don't make mistakes and eventually you know it, it, about the time I about the time I got that scored away and had a decent reputation you know that's, that was my own recollection I'm sure if you, if you call a few people from what back in the day that you like you have a good reputation <laughs> but, yeah. but you know as I remember it you know it, it's about the time I got all that figured out is when I uh, left and, and ended up uh, going to selection and they get reassigned to Fort Bragg, which was uh, summer of 92. So what was it like uh, when you landed in the unit in 1992, Jason? Because, I mean, that's just such an interesting period of time for American counterterrorism in the sense that I think a lot of people out there have this impression that, like, nothing was happening. Um, but actually, you guys were pretty active. And, uh, and, and it was... I, I don't know. I'll let you get you tell us what you want to tell us about it. But I, I just think I find it a very interesting time period, that like late nineteen eighties into the early nineteen nineties. You know, um, probably my view of this is a little bit better now because I've I've I can look back with a clearer. You know, when, when you're I mean when you show up and you're a, a young E six and you're trying to get through, you, know, you just ask the. The month-long job hiring, the hiring process, and now you've got six months plus of training to go through. You have to pass everything, and you have to, you know, there's a there's a lot of stress on you, and you don't um, necessarily think through some stuff that you look back on. But you know, I should have I should have thought through that a little bit better. 
Um, just, just you know, the stuff that I. It's like it's the stuff that you. The reason that you're there is to get the experience because you don't have the experience. And then once you get the experience a little bit, then you can look at it and go, okay, now now I realize that I should have known some of those things, but I also know why I didn't know them because I've gained the experience that showed me why I didn't know them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the um, so and I say that to, to, to paint a picture of you know it's another version of you're you're running 100 miles an hour doing what you're supposed to do trying to keep up trying to you know not get hurt trying to um, do your job perform well not be the weakest link you know pass all your tests blah 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 you know I had I ended up having um, just as as luck would have it I ended up having a, a hernia surgery. In the middle of the training course, but you know, what the way they did it, like on a Wednesday before a four-day weekend, and everybody was really—they uh, were just very cool about it. And I, I managed to um, recover over about a two or three-week long period, and didn't have to take another PT test for about a month, and it just worked out swimmingly. Um, and that was just a sheer stroke of luck. But the the the, the thing about um, the Army in '92. Right? So when I got to the Rangers in 88, I walked in there. I'll just give you a couple of data points here because it's indicative. Um, I walked into the, to the Ranger Battalion that day for an interview, and the CSM, Leon Guerrero, who I mentioned earlier, was, was out in the field. He was, he was out in the field doing a three-day field problem with one of the platoon in Charlie Company. Now, for those of you guys who might have been in the Army back in the late 80s and early 90s, the fact that a command sergeant major was out in the field pumping a rucksack with a platoon is astounding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably still astounding. I don't know. Because um, most guys just don't do that. But I think you could be a CSM, but just age-wise, there's only a handful of guys that can still, bodies can hold up to jump out of airplanes and put on rucksacks walking on the woods for, you know, when I say out in the field with a, with a ranger for a week in 1992, uh, 1988, I'm talking, um, that is a 10 or 15 mile long infill, patrols all week long, back and forth and back and forth, and, and then if you're lucky, you get a, a truck ride on, on Friday morning on your way back to the, to the company, but probably you were walking another 10 or 12 miles back out of it, so it was, it was you know, and we all enjoyed it, it was, it was a great time, but so I show up and, and he's he's out there doing that. So I end up having to actually do my interview with the first sergeant of the uh, Bravo Company, which is where I ended up going. Um, and uh, for, uh, first sergeant uh, Klein, Big Daddy Klein, who ended up being, uh, I believe he was the RSM a number of years later. And he was the first sergeant in Vico. So I walked in there, the, the personnel sergeant that was the NCOIC over in the S1 shop walked me over there. Uh, E7, that's a good name. So we walked into this room, and these guys are all still wearing the, the pale green colored, OD green colored OG 107s. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm wearing the early, original version of the BDUs before they got cool and they made them into ripstops. The Army had these hideous, heavy cotton, or they had these, they had these, these, I'll do it over here where you can see it a little bit. They had these collars on them that looked like. They didn't look like Elvis collars, but they might as well have been. They were huge, wide collars, and you know, you could pin your rank on, and I mean, they were just hideous. I didn't know this at the time until like, after you, know, you walk in and you see all these guys wearing their OG 107s, and it's like, 
oh my god, I want to be like those guys. Look how cool that is in the jungle boots. They were still wearing green jungle boots at the time. Yeah. And um, so then, then I got there and we got to wear those, I don't know, whatever, for a few months or a year. And then they out, they faced those out, and even the range weren't wearing anymore. Um, you know, went from, from, so I went from wide locale, straight leg, stupid being used to OG 107s to new rips not being used. Also with the K pot early on, um, or K pot for airborne operations and live fires and stuff like that. You know, the, the first version of the Kevlar helmet, when I say K pot, which was the, you know, the first, the first version that had like the, the, the World War II German cut where it came and had the little interior flash down here like this episode. That was almost blasphemous, and it, you know, it was like we look like a bunch of Germans in World War II. How could we dare do this? And it was just huge discussions, you know, all across the army. And uh, four years later, five years later, when I when I went through the time in the Rangers, you know, I, I got to, I got to learn a lot about stuff that I just didn't know when you're when you're in the mechanized infantry. And then by you know summer of '92 and the last half of '92, I'm going through the training course at Fort Bragg, which was that's like being on another planet mm -hmm. in, in some ways. They, they they had a lot of the same, you know, we we had. Car 15s and you know MP5s and all this other cool stuff, but you know um, a lot of it wasn't super technologically advanced at that point, just because um, it, just because a lot of things, just the lack of technology and, and the lack of um, you know a robust perhaps uh, testing and acquisition. There, I, I don't even know the process was lacking, you know, and everything like that. But the the part that looked like it was in another world to me was the, the difference in, um, um, it really has to all be boiled down into the difference in, in leadership, at, at organizationally, the leadership in the culture. And what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, so I showed up there, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, and stop me if this is, is like, I just go down a rabbit hole and I, I digress too far. Um, so, we show up. And it's like, okay, go get all your equipment. You know, they, they gave me, I don't know, I think my initial issue when I first got there was four or five large, you know, that like the, not the army duffel bag, but the 80 meter kit bag, mm -hmm. like you use it, you know, they give you an air one school, they get they, those things hold like a ton of crap. Mm -hmm. um, I think I got four or five of those of equipment issued to me the day I showed up there. It was, that was, that was more equipment that I had ever had issued to me in every single unit I've been to combined the you know, other times before. This is like, you know, you your normal TA-50, it's like a couple of jackets and some rubber boots and, you know, some other just retail artifice crap. And then all of a sudden you, you show up to this place and there, and there was stuff in that bag I didn't even know what it was, you know. Or I, or I recognize it's like, I, I think this thing goes on my, these go on my feet and this one goes on my head, on my head, <laughs> and these go on my hands, but I've never used this stuff before. I don't know what it is. Oh. And, uh, and that, was, that was the first clue. The, 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 the second clue was um, when you, when I went through and, and passed the, the, got through the hiring process, as on the way through that, they, they kind of, Actually, you go out pretty quickly. You go through this sort of flurry of activity where this—I don't even—I hardly remembered it until I showed up to Fort Bragg a, a couple, a couple weeks, a few, a few weeks later. And um, um, I show up and I pull all this stuff out of these bags that they issued me, and it's all the correct size for me. 
they had all this all this stuff was the right size. And there were no mistakes. And I remember that, that they had me try on all these different clothing. It's like, here, put these boots on, put this thing on, put this jacket, da, 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 you're down the line. And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And somebody else is asking me questions while I'm doing this. And I'm trying to write on a piece of paper and I'm signing on all this stuff. And only when I got there, I'm going to do all these bags that I remember. It's like, oh, they have me try on all that stuff because their logistic people, their supply circuit is so scored. When you went through and found all my sizes and put all my shit in the bag so it was all the same and it was all sizing. It was all right. It was correct. I, I think I had to DX maybe one DX, uh, I had to exchange for those of you who don't understand that term, a direct exchange is abbreviated and on this is DX. You have a piece of equipment to work out, you get a new one, you go on DX, right? That's the issue facility. And uh, I think I have two pieces of all of the equipment they gave me. I had to go over and get like, one had to make a compass with a smudge on it or something, and the other one like a long pair of socks. I mean, just this mundane, ridiculous stuff. It's just like that. The, the level of execution, attention to detail, the first hour in the building was astounding. You have to like sit down at the end of the day and have a drink and go, did this just really happen? Yeah. You know, is this the American the army? Yeah, that's what I was saying too. Is this, is this still the army? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and so then, you know, over the next couple of weeks, it's, you know, so then we get guns issued and do this and we go and get our team rooms and we meet guys who are on our, on our team for the training course and all sort of stuff. One thing I remember is, um, you know, they issued us pistols and we had rifles and all this other stuff, and, and um, we started out. So I, I was I was in E6 with um, what about eight and a half years in the army, I think, when I showed up. The staff started. No, yeah, yeah, I was I was just you know young staff sergeant, and um, you know, not super experienced. I I, I don't I don't I don't I didn't even have a hundred jumps. Uh, you know, static line parachute jumps. I might I might have like. 45 or something like that. Not super experienced compared to a lot of people at my same age and grade, but all of my peers were, you know, um, young E6s at like 26 years old, like 27 years old, like I was up to, you know, E7s at about 31, 32 years, right? And I should mention, you know, of course, that a, an E6, a staff sergeant in the unit is basically like a private, right? Absolutely. Right. Right, well, all of us were, all of the B-7s as well. So, so to that point, we, we, we spent, you know, the first, I don't know, probably two weeks um, laying on the ground, shooting shot groups through our rifles at 100 and 200 and 300 yards. That was, it was, it was the basic, the basic est, a basic rifle marking shit for weeks. That's all we did. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't all this cool guy, ninja, I'm going to free fall and fill out of the spaceship. Repelling through skylights. Yeah. Right. It was, it was, it was like, hey, here's what you're going to do. You know, and I mean, I'm talking, you know, record fire. There's a, there's a, there's an instructor, a cadre there writing down scores 
every like two, three times a day. Everything would get recorded. Shot through here. This, 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 this. Here's how bad you suck. Here's how bad you, you, you know, everybody else is doing better than you. And all this sort of stuff. Right? They sound like that. They don't. They don't. They're talking. It's just very. It's very professional. And that was the other thing that was that was so striking about it is, you know, it's like nobody yelled at you. Nobody makes you do push-ups. Nobody screams at you and tries to smoke you and you know, elevate your feet and do push-ups. All it's just stupid crap, right? So it was just, it was just, it was just really gentlemanly and professional and challenging and trying all at the same time, breathtakingly so. Um, you know, and then they give you a pistol, but you don't get any ammo. You dry fire for weeks before you can even go to the range and stand on the range and shoot your pistol. They do stuff like this, and it's all basic, 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 basic. And um, you know, I, re- I remember at one point these uh, these two two really senior guys that were instructors. We were down doing basic rifle stuff, like on the first or second day, right? Like, hey, you guys go get some lunch, and we'll see you in an hour. So we. We're over there trying to do the whole, you know, this the stupid dumb army shit where you take a you 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 stack your arms and your right folds in like a teepee. Yeah, yeah. Remember doing this? Mm-hmm. People listening to it probably know that the army has this thing called stacking arms because you know you're not allowed to let your gun, ever, your rifle, your weapon ever touch the ground. And if you can see my face close enough, I I'm somewhat scoffing when I say rifle and weapon and all this other stuff because I don't even use those terminology or it's a gun. It's a long gun or a short gun or a pistol or rifle or whatever. But you know, you have to learn those terms and they get drilled into you and blah, 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 blah. So all of us are sitting here trying to do the, you know, the typical army thing of, you know, we all have to leave and there's nobody there to hold our, our, our weapons for us off the ground. So we're trying to do this stacking thing and all this other crap. And nobody knows how to do it because we're a bunch of FF guys and Rangers and everybody, you know, and so one of these instructors looks at us and he goes, what are you doing? And, you know, all of us are like, we do the whole, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> the, the, the surprise look like, oh, not. Right? And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, um, well, we don't want to leave the, you know, weapons on. He goes, look, lock the bolts to the rear and point them down range and lay them on the ground because that's where they're going to end up anyway. <laughs> right. but we, we can do that <laughs> and it's like um, yeah I just told you to stop being stupid put it on the ground and go eat it's like okay um, that, nobody ever talked to me like that before you know it was just like if, if it doesn't make sense it's not going to get done and so and there's, there's, there's probably a, if I sat long enough and we probably have a thousand stories like that, right? Maybe yeah, else I, know. I, I mean, Jason, you know, I, stuff like that. I, I've been told, I, I've been told also that like it's perfectly normal for guys to walk around the compound with their weapon locked and cocked, or whatever term you want to use, you know, with one in the pipe, and, and you know, just walking around, and, and that's just how it is. And um, I don't, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I mean, it's just a. I think even by the time I went through like special forces training, like they they kind of like had us do that also. It's like, hey, that's how it is overseas. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna like put your gun in the arms room or anything. Mm-hmm. So, right? No, that, that's that's accurate enough. I mean, not, you know, not like you know, you don't do that in the mess hall. You don't walk around the building like that. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, it's it's the range and then it's everywhere else. You know, but um, that that's not inaccurate at all. Um, it just kind of is what it is. Oh, I mean, a lot of it was going from 
you know, uh, the the regular army and I, I and Ranger Battalion has changed a lot over time. Like it's far more professionalized now than it was when I was in. Like they were good. They're really good at some stuff. I don't want to say they weren't like awesome. But you know now they have opportunities within range battalion that they didn't have when I was there, yeah. and they treat them right. more like adults, I would say, than than they did when I was yeah. in. And so, so when I say larger army, even though you're at range battalion, that sort of included that at the time, where you're going from this system that almost uh, infantilizes. infantilizes yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but you know, treats people like you're a risk or this is a risk or we need to hold your hand through everything to, to an organization that's like, hey, you're an adult. We're hiring you to be an adult. We're hiring you to make decisions. So we're going to treat you like an adult. That's right. That's right. And it's, and it's, um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, you learn pretty quick that, that, you know, you're going to, you're going to go figure this out. Right. Yeah. And it's, and, and that, I, I think I'm, I had, a, I had a couple of glitches with that early on because, you know, it took me, uh, it took me a little bit to, to come on. And I was never like a big regimented guy, or at least I didn't see myself that way, maybe I was, but I just, you know, I, I always kind of thought of myself as a, as a more of a free thinker and solve problems and help people out, you know, by, by example, right? So, so after about the first year or so, year and a half, um, I don't even remember, at some point when I was in this squad leader in the range of time, I had, and I knew, I knew that the, all that, all that smack that they were talking about, you know, which which I mentioned before, you know, full seven stands of the Ranger Creed and once a leg, all the leg, and all that crap. I knew that when the guys that were privates in the other squad in the platoon, their their team their team leaders were bringing their guys to me to ask questions and get advice before they were going to their own squad leaders. Then I, then I knew I was good. Right. And so I always kind of looked at myself as ability to, you know. I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody. It was just like I just kind of I thought I understood things pretty well and I could work things out pretty well. And uh, uh, when I was going through the training course when I got to brag, I had a couple issues where you know I was I was kind of you know look you know looking around a little bit confused because I thought I was going to get prompted with a little bit more information because it's still not in class right now. You know, and at one point I had a I had an instructor at one point. He walked up to me and goes. You know, again, it was one of these. What are you doing? You know, it's because I was, I was, I was somewhere accomplishing a task, and I had a timeline, and I had to report some stuff back, and I had to get some things. I had to get some things lined up, ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so he comes up and he's like, "Okay, you know, what's going on in the thing?" I go, um, I'm supposed to go, you know, do this thing. I got to go find this place, and I got. He goes, he goes, you need to get moving. You know, he said something like, what do you think that means? And I go, you know, I'm like standing there outside of this place and I'm just kind of looking around. And finally, it dawned on me, he, he was just looking at me like I was stupid because I was being stupid. And he's like, what do you think you should do? And I go, you know, and, and he kind of he kind of looked and, and kind of was like, one of these things. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked like, oh. Maybe I should walk over there, and I walked over there, and then I walked some more, and I did some other stuff, and I kind of figured it out. And I came back, I was like, okay, I, I get it. There's, there's a, you know, it's a, uh, 
once once I had that little bit of an epiphany, which which I think I think in in the minds of a lot of the instructors, though that one and whatever the other one might have been, I never I would never went to the bottom of these guys, but but um, you know that was kind of a hey, you need to watch out for this guy because I don't I don't know that he's quite got you know, what we what we need him to have to get through this thing, right? Right. And um, so you know whatever. Um, it's almost that they had to break anyway, some I, of the army. I'm off, I'm off course, and I don't remember what you asked. No, 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 it's fine. But but it's almost that they had to. It seems like they almost had to break some of the habits right, that right. the army, the regular army, had instilled, right? Um, the the you know the whole sua sponte and you know take the initiative right. and do your thing, make your you know make your judgment. But that was really on you at this point. Where prior to that. You know, there was always somebody else that you were looking to, to, to you know, give give the execution. It, it's interesting that you say that because, um, the, 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 specifically because you used the two words sua sponte. Um, that, that there's a, there's a, and you, and you prompted a thought for me that I have never had before, which is this. The, the Ranger Regiment kind of owns that term. Um, they, they don't own it legally, but it's kind of culturally it belongs to them, right? Right. And really, the only place, the only place that the, that the two words "sua sponte," which for your listeners who may not know, is uh, supposedly is roughly translated from Latin, and it means of their own accord or of one's own accord. Which, which by the way, I I, I did some research on the Latin stuff a couple years back, and I don't think it means that. <laughs> it's like it's like the. It's like the uh, Montoya in the uh, bride, uh, uh, what was that? Princess word? Bride. I don't think that word. Yeah. These are these are fighting words. These are fighting words. That's like it's uh, also. No, no, no. If you look at uh, Ranger history, like also Robert Rogers is not exactly the patron right. saint of Rangers that some would make him out to be, but. You know, also, I digress. I mean, I'm not trying to start a, a, a civil war here or anything. No, no, no. And, but, so I, I've, I've done a lot of... Uh, Robert Rogers, I'm going to come back to the point here, I'm sorry. Robert Rogers of, of you know, Robert's standing orders, uh, which were for the Rangers back in, the, back in pre-revolution here in New England, about 1740, 1750 time frame. And he had these guys that would go out and range through the woods and find the Indians and engage with them. You know, they were, they were clearing out the Indians. That's what they did. This is, you know, I'm going to trigger a bunch of people by saying that because we don't talk like this anymore. But in, in the United States in 2020, but that's what these guys did. So they they used to go out and do ranging through the woods. Um, they were all backwoodsmen, you know, frontiersmen. Uh, Daniel Boone before Daniel Boone even existed, type of thing, or or during the about the time frame when he did. And um, you know, they called them rangers. Well, what what Robert Rogers did smarter than anybody else was he. Um, he wrote all that stuff down and put it on paper and made he made he made everybody's rules Rogers rules and then he put his name on it and, and it's like everybody knows it. You know, once you put your name on it you can write claim you get things. I mean right. education, you get whatever. There's there's actually so, also some dispute. I don't, I don't there's a dispute right. about whether or not Robert Rogers ever wrote that stuff or ever used it, um, even because like the the question is like right. the, some of the language, the verbiage he uses in, in it, you know, like don't forget nothing. Like someone who's educated is not going to write like that, you know. 
So there, yeah, there's right. some questions about the authenticity of it also. Well, and when when I was when I was researching this, and I and I I um I'm a word research and 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 care but I I slash I don't have any more time to spend on it, right? But it, I the reading that I did it, it, it's everybody puts a disclaimer up and says, hey, you know, there's no way to go back and fact check this in 100% and make sure that it's absolutely correct because we just don't know. Um, but but I, I think that the, the, the slang terminology, you know, poor English, I think probably passed from the, you know, Roberts would have been a, probably a fairly well-to-do person to be able to put together a, a fighting force in the 1750s. They would have been what they called a gentleman, I'm pretty sure. And the Rangers' lineage went all the way up through, you know, the Revolution, the French Indian Wars, all the way through the Civil War, you know, all the way up to the present day, that lineage never stopped. And I think at some point, some, some, uh, you know, Kentuckian, not not perhaps the best speller or writer, you know. Oh, by the way, go go read the original non-edited version of Lewis and Clark's. You know, those guys were educated, and they could, you know, Clark could barely write him. Hold on a second, I think. Can you hear me right yeah, now? Yeah, you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just lost you on video, but we can hear you. I think I've got you. Uh, we got you. We hear you. I think i got to go back and uh, change my... Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, I can. We hear you. We got you. No, yeah. it's all good. Apparently my headphones just went dead on me. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's okay. We can hear you fine. Okay, you got me okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway... Um, I'm on a tangent on top of a tangent on top of a tangent. <laughs> so, oh, I wonder, bring, bring you... If I, the thing about Rogers... Go ahead. And then what were you going to say? I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Finish your thought about Robert Rogers, then we'll, we'll roll into something else. Well, we, then we need to go back I, to Sue Esponte, and then, and then we'll roll. Please continue. Go back to what? Say that again? After Rogers, back to Sue Esponte. Right, so, so I think that like, like a lot of things, like I was just saying, right? Once, once you, once you're the person who takes it and writes it down, whether you copyright it or not or whatever, you know, um, then it sort of becomes, you know, codified in law, if you will. Not really law, but it's codified and it's written down. So, so, some, some country fellow in the 1830s or 50s or 70s got a hold of Roberts Rangers and copied them down for himself, and all the previous copies got lost, and now it's in this, in this what we call street vernacular perhaps mm-hmm. you know, I don't know and you get you get something that Robert that Rogers probably would not have written down you know don't forget nothing he probably wrote it in somewhat maybe more polite language who knows yeah um, but it's a transfer so, so by the same token you know the sua sponte thing if you and, and I'm sure somebody will contact you to, to get a contact with me to prove me how wrong I am and I, I, I don't claim to be an expert on this but I I did a lot of uh poking around with a bunch of different Latin stuff a few years ago because um, I, I don't even know why it was after I retired I had been in the regiment for you know shit 25 years at least and uh, I can't find a, a, a direct translation of those two words that means of their own accord but anyway the, the other fighting words for the regiment is you know really and truly when I left in 92 to go to Fort Bragg it didn't take me very long to figure out that there's, there's one place in the army where the phrase sua sponte actually applies, and it's there. 
Right. Not, you know, sorry, 75th Ranger Regiment, my apologies. Um, you know, whatever. Um, so anyway, the, 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 um, the, the ability to, to go out and, you know, I was, I was talking with a couple of friends of mine here recently, and one guy was relating a story about something, and he, and he was talking about how he mentioned the fact that he had a guy that we that we both know that we worked with years ago, and he was like, you know, I, I looked at this guy, and he was talking about something that happened in I know, probably in Iraq back in like '04 or '05, some shit like that. I don't remember, but he was like, yeah, you know, we had so much going on, and he said, I just I just looked at this guy, and was like, hey, go go take care of that. And he goes, and I, I looked at the guy and I was like, yeah, I need you to go take care of this. And then he goes, I turned around and I went somewhere else and I did something else because I knew he was going to go take care of that and I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Right. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that, you know, well, how do you want me to take care of it and who do I need to talk to and where do I need to go? And it's like, hey, man, um, don't talk to me about this again. I don't want to hear about it until it's solved. Right. And that's kind of a, you know, there's a few places, a little, a couple pockets in the Army here and there where you've got, you know, some trusted subordinate leaders and some the, the guys they work for and they built a relationship like this where it's like, hey, you know, I need you to go do this. Like, you're that off, I got it. And you, and you move on and you go make it happen because you you two people or you team of maybe five or six people. I, I, I think I saw one other company that was like this, you know, in my, in my short eight years in the Army before I went to Bragg. And uh, it happened, it just happened to be where there was, you know, a couple of really strong platoon sergeants, a strong first sergeant, not a strong company commander, you know, and and some really solid squad leaders. And once all those guys rotated out of there, it, that whole place fell apart. Right. That company, it didn't fall apart. It looked like they were, you know, abject failures at everything they did, but it did, it did not happen daily like it like it did before. Right. Anyway, I'll I'll I'll. I'll say over and let up off, off my push to talk about it for a second. <laughs> Jason on the assault net. No, no, it's all good, man. Thank you. Um, I don't know what else we want to get into or what you'd be willing to get into, Jason. Um, would you be comfortable talking about you know some of the jobs you got after that and some of the places you went around the world um, in your military career? Um, it would probably depend on the on the the detail of the question, but I, I mean, I can, I can tell you. I'll let you decide. That, well, um, I don't, I don't look at it as anything extraordinary, especially, especially after what we've been doing in the last, you know, since 2001, right? Longest, mm-hmm. <coughs> longest duration of combat operations um, in our history. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the stuff I got to do was was kind of neat, but it, it pales in comparison to you know what what everyday Joes are doing or were doing. Some of them probably still are, but but everybody was doing it. You know, um, 10, 12, 15 years ago and doing it very well. And I, you know, I I don't know that uh, I don't know I don't know how how beneficial that is. I don't know how cool that is. To, you know, I mean, I'll put it to you another way. Um, you know, since since I retired in '09, it's almost almost 12 years, 11 and a half years. Ago, and um, you know, it, it's uh, 
sharing conveyors to people about, you know, because it's like, oh man, you know, you guys did this and you guys did that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look, man, it's, it's not, it's not really like that, you know. And I was, I have a, I have a really good friend that I, that I made after I got out of the army. He, he's been, he's younger than me considerably. We didn't meet him until after I was already out. I a retired to our major and he, I think he got out of like a step four. I met him in his young 30s, yeah, early 30s. Super, super sport away guy, right? I mean, and what I mean, what I mean by that is he is a, he's a, a top-notch, superb human being in addition to the fact that he was a good soldier. And there's, those are not always exactly the same thing. And that took me a long time to figure out as well. Um, and so, um, he and I were talking about something a while back. We, we talked pretty regularly. He's a really good friend of mine. And um, he, made, he made a comment about something. I'm like, look, man, you know, I understand that you have respect for what guys like me did in our time in the service, but I said, what I never did was the shit that you did on a daily basis, you know, you and tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other guys in the Army at the time, in the Marine Corps, who, you know, walked back and forth or drove back and forth in a Humvee, literally trolling for IEDs, right? You yeah. Know, I, never had to, I never had to do that. Right. I never, I never had to do that. Right. And none of my buddies did either. And it's just, you know, we, I sit there and look at this and I'm like, you know, okay, I'll, I'll dislocate my shoulder and pat myself on the back, I guess, you know, but, but at the end of the day, um, I mean, every, everybody has their own, their own scale of what's relative and what's um, relevant to them. And, you know, yeah, Jason, I, I mean, this is, uh, you know, we, we, we want to hear about your experiences and what you did, and so do the people who, who watch this show, and uh, I, I hope you wouldn't feel, um, have, have any trepidation about it, on that count at least. Um, you know, we have people on here we, who are like Mac V. Sog in Vietnam, guys who are Marine Scout snipers in Vietnam, and, uh, you know, like my, we're going to have a, a friend of mine who's a pararescue guy, Brian, he's coming on next week. And I was talking to him on the phone yesterday, and he's like, "Man, I'm a little nervous about coming on your show because, like, you have all these like super serious guy, like hardcore guys on." It's like, "No, man, like, we're having you on because I know you're a good guy. We want to talk to you. We want to hear your experiences." And I even know I know a guy who's a, a unit member who, if you hear his stories, it sounds like something out of a video game to me. It's like, what? How did that happen? But he, he reads books about guys who served in the Vietnam War and the infantry, and it's like, man, well, could, I, could I do that? <laughs> I don't know. You know, and at the same time, we have, you know, very, you know, these guys from Vietnam, or Mac Saga, whatever, tell us, you know. How much they admire the younger guys. Yeah, how they're like, oh, you know, the, your war was so much harder, and it's like, that's not how anybody in our war sees it at all. <laughs> no. I, you know, and then, then we look at, you know, World War II. Like, I think that we all, I, and you know, it's funny because you talked about the jump into Rio Hada, right, and, and how you didn't get your mustard stain, and, and for people who don't, uh, who don't quite get it, uh, because you haven't, you know, I, I think that people in soft are constantly like looking at themselves and comparing ourselves to other people, like whether it's in our unit or other units or, or something like that. You size everybody up. Like, well, could yeah. I beat that guy up in a fight? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's, it's like, oh, you know, every everything, whether you could be in 
so many contacts, you know, so many firefights, whatever, but if you don't have the mustard stain and other people have the mustard stain, right, right. you know, the combat jump, then it's like, well, shit, I don't have that. You know, like, it, it's, uh, so, you know, I, I think that when when people watch this, like, it's not a comparative thing, or when yeah, they listen, yeah. it's not a comparative thing. It's like, worse in your story. You were part of history, um, and and we want to know that history, and our viewers and listeners want to know that history. So, And in, in aggregate, if you think about what, what Dave and I are trying to accomplish here, it's not about any one show or any one interview. It's an aggregate. It adds up to all of these people and all of their experiences from, what, the not early 1960s to today. Right. Right, and I mean, if we look at like uh, Pat O'Donnell and the historian, you know, and he's recording people all from the, the way OSS, back from yeah. the OSS and all the way back to the special operators operations in the Revolutionary War. So, you know, you were in, you know, sort of in the, the special mission unit at a very specific time in history, and we would love to know, you know, like what that was for you, what you experienced, what you learned, everything. Or, and I know that we don't have time for everything, but you know, like. It, it, it's it, your history is as fascinating to us and to our viewers and listeners as as anybody else's. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I do. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, I just don't. I just don't look at you know. I don't look at what I did as as uh, all that significant as a lot of other guys did. You know. Um, the, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the big question that always comes up for me is uh, the Mobile issue 93. I was a pretty young guy in the squadron, um, very young, you know, less than a year. And, uh, you know, I actually didn't even get in country until after the first, I missed everything else that happened there except for the one event on the 3rd of October that they made the movie about. school. Jeff, we might have talked about this the, the last time we chatted. I, I don't remember, but, um, you know, I was away at a school going like, a, you know, to become an E7 down at Fort Benning, and, and uh, when I came back, they were they were gone. My, my, my guys were, you know, the guys that I belonged to were, were deployed, and uh, it took several weeks for me to, to not, not, not due to my own accord, but, but you know, there was, there were rules in place through powers that be that, you know, we can only have so many people in the country. And so, you know, it took two weeks for me to get there. And uh, I think I got there maybe a week or 10 days prior to that happening. And uh, I was in country, I think, less than a month. I'm certain it was less than a month. I don't remember exactly, but, you know. Um, so that was, you know, you, you um, um, I don't know. I, I have I have little isolated instances, uh, little little you know, a uh, couple little vignettes for, for for that. But they're you know they're not uh, my story. Don't look anything like the movie that the you know, Black Hawk Down on the big screen. It's not 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 close to that at all. There's there's some overlap, I guess, but it's not you know. Not do you, the same. Do but, you feel the movie was grossly inaccurate in some ways, or? Uh, accuracy to it. We, we, I was, I was, I was walking through my building one day. So we had a, you know, we have a, we have a guy in the building that's the, that's the historian for that organization. It's his only job, right? And um, 
I was you know, periodically we get as you guys can as anyone can well imagine we get you know delegations of visitors come in our building because of who we are we're fairly high profile and so we get we get all manner of different people coming in there and um, the guy who was the historian at the time was a pretty good friend of mine I was I was walking down the hallway and he had a group of people that he was given a tour to you know like a a little can spiel about, oh, hey, this is what happened in this operation here, and this happened over here, this happened over there. And it was maybe five years or so after Mogadishu happened, and I, I walked past him um, right at the point, I think it was like I was going to, to the mess hall or something. I walked past him at the point where someone had just asked him, you know, what about the movie and all this other stuff, and he was like, um, the similarities between the movie, and this is the guy who has read all the accounts, Everybody wrote down and you know sort of collated this together into a into the, the history that those guys own, not the movie and not the Philadelphia Inquirer and all that other crap. And uh, his comment was kind of tongue in cheek, and he looked at this lady and he's like, "There were similarities between what happened and what was on the movie screen, in that there were people in army uniforms and helicopters, and that's about it." <laughs> it's, you know, as far as the sequence and you know, everything else like that, so of course you know. Hollywood is completely overblown. We all know that, um, but you know the uh, uh, so that so the, the the day that happened, um, we we sometime after three o'clock in the afternoon, we pulled pitch off the airfield and inserted on that mission. Well, about eleven o'clock that morning, one of my buddies came over to me and he goes, "Hey, we're we're going over to the." Uh, we had a range on the other side of the runway where it's like an overlook. You, you know, you set your targets up in the, the, the surface danger zone for your bullets with the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. And so he goes, hey, we're going to go over there and do a little PT, bring your rifle. I go, okay, it's no problem. So we, we go over there. There's four of us, I think. And, uh, and uh, we set up a little thing where we, you know, ran in like a half a mile loop and we came back and did some shooting and ran another half a mile. And it's like a, an hour's worth of PT and a couple hundred bullets fired. It's timed, it's scored, and just, you know, whatever. I was a young guy and I just kind of like, there was, the guy who was doing it was not my leader, it was just one of my buddies who was senior to me and it was kind of like, hey, you know, don't be a schlub, get your ass out of here, let's go do this. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm fine, I'm doing that. So I commenced to um, doing this running, and of course the guys that I'm doing it with were all trying to keep up with or beat each other in this foot race. And, one guy was a, a straight up physical machine. And, uh, you know, if I, go, if I go back in uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes in our conversation here, talk about how I, I managed to, uh, you know, overcome my past when I arrived at the Ranger Regiment because I could, I could run pretty well. But now, now I'm in a pool of guys where I, I, I'm struggling to be, you know, in the top half, let alone being, being a, a, you know, accomplished. So anyway, I end up back in, uh, no, no, we didn't finish that, I'm sorry. We were in the middle of that, so I'm all hot and sweaty. It's literally Africa hot, and I'm, you know, <laughs> about myself. And uh, somebody, one of the other guys, drove over in the vehicle, and he's like, hey, you guys need to get back right now. And Roger that, so we, we pack up all of our stuff, and jump in the truck, drive, drive back around the airfield, get in, everybody's, everybody's starting to get all chalked up and everything else. And, and um, 
I'm going to guess that that was probably 12 or 12, 15, I don't even remember. And uh, so it ended up being a false alarm and we didn't launch. And um, so went over, got some, I think I, I think I took a shower real quick, got some lunch and uh, came back, you know, doing a couple things, I don't whatever. And uh, probably an hour later, walked in, it's like, hey, uh, that thing that, that wasn't just became a thing again, so we need to get ready to go. So, okay, start start getting stuff prepped. And I uh, went from getting prepped, starting to get prepped to getting prepped to finishing prepped to walking on the flight line to rotors are suspended to my team sergeant comes out and he's got a thing, you know, sketching his hands up here, what we're doing here, where we're going. It's like, okay, to get prepped that. And uh, so we launched. And, um, so 3.10, 3.15, and I guess if you read the book and you go back through the logs, it's probably all a matter of record at this point. Um, but as I recall, it's like 3.30, on the ground. And um, we obviously go to the wrong place and enter this building. And, you know, at this point, it was just like we're, we're trying to find the right people that we're supposed to be back out of there. And we ended up in the wrong room and, you know, um, Striking thing I remember uh, in that in that place specifically is we, we busted into this room. And of course, they hear the helicopter, so they know we're we're coming into their their building. The locals know this. We're going to get to them eventually, and uh, we're working our way down the street. So we, we go into this one room, and there's a uh, a group of women and uh, a couple of young kids back into a corner, they're all, they're, all, they're all looking at us, they're all in a corner, and in front of them is a older, like too old to be in the military aged male, maybe in his 50s, and he's holding a baby in his hands, in front of his body like this. I can't do it with both hands because I don't have, I have one hand on my phone, but he's, he's holding up an 18 month old, maybe a two year old, up in front of his body. You know, when, when we when we burst into the room, you know, no nobody shot anybody. No, a round wasn't fired because there weren't any bad guys in the room. But it's kind of like you know, I, I played that. I didn't realize what I was looking at at the time. I just did my job and we did what we did. We we found a couple of rifles and we moved them out of that room and you know, ended up with a couple of guys who, who I don't even know whether they were the people with the before I began. I'm a brand new guy, right? I'm just doing my job and get taken in the face down. And, uh, but I, I reflected on that, you know, weeks and months later, and I said, think about it every once in a while, I was like, you know, in the, in the balance of where we are in American culture today, right, you, you, you would have to go back, I don't even know how long, to find people who, nobody in this country today would do that. Right. No, no American I know would take a, an extended family member baby uh, you know, a granddaughter, a niece, a nephew, I don't know if the kid was family or not, I don't care. Nobody would do that. Right. I don't know personally, you guys don't know personally anybody who would do that. Right. Nobody. Um, you know, and, and, and so that was a, you know, we, we, we talked about how, some people want to talk about how terrible our culture is and how, how terrible our country is nowadays. It seems to be a, a pretty common theme. Um, it's pretty easy for people 
to say those things when they're, you know, to steal a quote from one of my close friends, when they're, when their bagging truck is so heavy they can't even move it, yet they complain, you know, and they, because they don't have the right viewpoint, they've never seen anything, right. they don't know what they're talking about, they're literally uneducated and they're ignorant. Right. Um, and so, so anyway, you know, um, you guys know the whole story uh, of that whole thing, you know, um, we, uh, we ended up at the, at the crash site that was not Mike Durant, but the other one, and, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, a long night, and we, we kept getting radio calls, uh, and I remember, I remember being, you know, kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be out here pretty quick, and, you know, it got dark, and, and um, um, we had, we had some casualties out of the street when we first got to the front, where we stopped, and we got those guys out of the street, you know, I'm just a nug, pulling security at this point, and um, I remember it. It, the, the sun started to go down in the direction I was facing, and I had to check. I think I'm, I, I, I don't, like I said before, I don't remember who I told this to, but I, I had to take my eyeglasses, my eye protection off. You know, the cardinal sin, you're not wearing eye pro in the army. Right. I, I had the sun literally right in my eyes, and uh, my lenses were fogging up because it was Africa hot. And so, you know, uh, we did that. We, we got inside, it got dark. Um, I remember the radio calls coming over. And it was like, hey, you know, how much longer are we going to be? And the team sergeant that was over there working on what we were now doing, what he had to get done, what he had to do before we could leave. And uh, he's like, it's going to be a little while. And then call back. And this went on maybe every 30 or 40 minutes for several hours. And finally at about 11 o'clock, I want to say, 2300, uh, this, this energy, this exchange came over the radio again. And... Uh, uh, he, his, his tone of voice changed a little bit and he was a little bit more stern and he goes we're going to be a while and he, he unkeyed the mic and heard the, heard the squash break and I was like okay and I, and I, knew, I knew right then we were, we were not leaving until at least sun up at a minimum right. at least and I, you know, I, didn't, I didn't have to have my team sergeant come and tell me that I didn't have to yeah, I knew it was like, okay, that's it, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We're hunkered down. We're done. Um, you know, it was, it was in, you know, so in the meantime, my, my, uh, a couple of times, you know, a couple of times during the night, during the day, during the night, my, my team started walks over. And uh, I was not actually working with my own team that night. I got, I got farmed out to the, the team next door to because I because I showed up late. In country, my team already had uh, maxed out the helo that they were flying on. They couldn't fit any more bodies on it, and so the one that I was on had extra space, so they put me with this other team. And so the guy who wasn't technically my team sergeant, but he was for that for that duration of that entire operation, the whole time I was in country, pretty much. And uh, well, until we, until we finished with her, we went back the next morning, and I answered my own again. But but he, he comes over. At one point, and had a had a brief exchange with all the guys. He was kind of going around different places where guys were located, and I'm telling you, that guy was so calm and cool and collected in the middle of all that stuff that was going on. I thought he was about ready to fall asleep. You know, he was like, <laughs> He was just so so calm, and he just you know he's like, hey, 
here's what we're doing with the rotating security positions, here's what we're doing with food, here's what we're doing with water, what do you need, blah, 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 you know. Um, that was, that was, uh, was kind of it, you know. It was, uh, can, can you say who your team sergeant was, Jason? Say again? Can you say who your team sergeant was on that mission? No, I can't. Okay. I, I can't. No, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I wonder if he was yeah. someone who's public. Well, you know, the, some of them are. Some so of them. The, well, the, the guy that I the guy that I technically worked for. If I told you his name, you would know. You would recognize the name, mm -hmm. um, probably. The other guy that I was attached to, um, you wouldn't. And I'm not going to say. Okay, anything. right on. Sure. I don't think you would agree with that. Um, I don't have contact with him, but but I, I don't think you would agree. Sure. With him. So. so so what what happened that night for you for for your team and for you uh, personally? Like, uh, uh, was it just a very calm and peaceful evening out there flapping? No, no, um, it was, um, but it was it was sporadic. You know, I mean the, the part that the movie, you know, so so if you imagine um, 12, 15, 12 or fifteen hours on the ground, right? We take. You take everything that all the rangers experience. You take everything that all of our guys experience, and all the all the guys in the, the the rangers and our guys that were in one location. All of those same people that were in the convoy going back and forth, and you could try and condense that into a ninety minute film. Right. It's in the film. It's nonstop. You know, literally nonstop for whatever it was ninety minutes, two hours. I don't, I don't know, and. Uh, that it wasn't like that for me where I sat. You know, I remember um, little bird gun runs going a lot. Right. And those guys, those guys uh, did. I can't even find a word that I know in the English language to describe to you how phenomenal what they did was. The word phenomenal was not sufficient. Um, I, I, I literally, I don't know a word. Um, you know, it, it just they they um they they actually brought in a uh, they brought us in a resupply to the place where we were at. Um, I think that guy was about fifteen or eighteen feet off the deck when he when he cut that bundle loose, dropped on the ground, and I don't know to this day how he did that. I got in and Hubbard and dropped in and got back out. I, I have no idea how that happened, and it happened. You know, before my very eye, even though I couldn't see it because it was dark, um, I, I don't know how they did that. I really don't. Yeah. It was it was stunning. Again, I don't have a word. Jason, you know, you you uh, said that you were the nug, you know, the the new guy and whatnot, and and I think it's it's an interesting concept, the idea of somebody feeling like a nug. At that level, in a special mission, yeah, yeah. right? The amount but, of training, millions of dollars of training pumped into you at that point, right? And 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 was was this your first, like, uh, you know, your first encounter while since you had been uh, in the army? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, and and so you are. The best of the best, the cream of the crop. How how did that feel for you compared to how you had been in a mech infantry unit compared to how you think it would have felt in a mech infantry unit? Do you think it would have been the same that that initial kind of, or do you do you feel 
Yeah, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but please. Um, I don't. I don't know that. I, I don't know that I ever thought about it like that. That's a good question. I don't know that I have an answer for you. Um, it was kind of. All, all I all I knew. So 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 when I don't know. All I knew was when we uh, when we redeployed home and. and Jack, you know, going back to our very beginning of our call here, I, I probably need to run about 10 or 12 minutes. If that's sure, sure. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I really apologize. This no, is, we appreciate you. We could do this for four hours, seriously. We could, and yeah. we'll, we'll do it again sometime if you're willing, Jason, but thank you. So, all, all I remember is um, going home over the, next, you know, over the next several months, and at some point, it dawned on me that I didn't want everything I was to be October third, mm. and I and I at that point I didn't have the education. I didn't have any I didn't have any knowledge or education about what it was I was actually talking about. It was just um, I knew that um, I, I knew that I, I didn't I didn't want to be that guy who's like you know. Um, 65 years old, 70 years old, still at the, you know, telling, telling everybody who yeah, doesn't yeah. want to listen anymore that, you know, the same story. That mm -hmm. It's like, I, I, I understand the significance of it, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for all my mates that, you know, that there were those of us who came home, and, um, Anything. And I think about it a lot, but, I, but it's just not one of those things I just wanted to hang my hat on and say, okay, this, this is, I did this thing, and now I'm good. And I, and I, and I you know, that, that's all I needed to do. I, I just, it just wasn't, um, um, and some people may take issue with that. No, not at all. I think that's kind of a healthy way to look at it, you know, that you have, there, there's much more to who you are as a person, your husband and everything else that in, in life and other, other great things you did in your career. And, um, you know, I had, I've been told in the past that, that that firefight was so traumatic for some people that Ranger Battalion and the unit both, they, um, like in training afterwards, they retrained on that scenario over and over and over again, like refighting the Battle of Mogadishu. When it's like you know, hey guys, like the next firefight, it's not going to be like that. Yeah, you know, you're, it's, there's something else coming after this. Yeah, right. There, there, there were there were though. In fact, your point is valid. But there there also were a number of um, tactics that we adapted, that we that we changed and adapted and got better at significantly after that happened. Um, that that still. Um, Still carry through to today. It was a you know that was a tough lesson to learn, but it, it got learned, and we learned from it, and we continue. My understanding is that that has not that has not changed. It, it oh yeah, no. When when I got to Ranger Battalion, I mean they were still talking about the lessons learned. Like for example, take your nods on every mission. Why would you not take them? What what's wrong with you? You know things like that that absolutely came through it. Right, right. Hey, so Jason, before. I'm moving a little bit here. I'm sorry. Yeah, not, not a problem. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Jason uh, agreed. I mean, has been a godsend, and he's joining us from a hotel and from like uh, from the from a public area. Yeah, hotel. he's been very patient. So, with yeah, us. yeah. 
So uh, we have a couple of questions that we need to get to. Uh, the people who have uh, donated to ask questions, we really want to make sure we, we, we address them before we let you go. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chris, or Ernest Chris. Um, he said favorite unit time, primary build, secondary build, and sniper rifle build. I guess he's talking about favorite weapon. Yeah, I think your yeah your favorite. Um, did you have did you have a preferred like uh, build out on your weapons, or was that something that um, that you guys had control over? Um, no, we didn't really. I mean, there, there was there was. Um, it's actually a, that's actually a really good question. It, it, um, so. The, the reality is that we that we have a um, try, I'm trying to <clears throat> condense this answer down into not you know mm -hmm. ten minutes of me flapping my gums. Um, the short answer is no. You could you could configure maybe for a couple of things, maybe like a sling or a flashlight or you know something. Basically, if you want to do something that is going to um, affect how the gun runs on the internal parts, you don't get to touch it. It's, it, the, the most important thing is that you know you squeeze the trigger and it goes bang every time. Um, or you guys don't you know guys don't go in there and it's like oh I I want my own trigger and I got to have this certain kind of bolt and bolt carrier and I got to have a, a special you know uh, hydraulic buffer all that, that that does not happen. Right. I want my own certain kind of pressure. It's like no we 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 got all that stuff. Um, uh, I mean it's best on the planet so. Why would no? I understand the question, but that's not how. It yeah, works. yeah, not yeah. At, not at the operator level. And, and were you were you sniper trained? Were you sniper trained? No, I, I was not. No, I, I never, never, never was. No. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get uh, Alejandro. Thank you very much, buddy. Um, oh, he said, I remember seeing a movie as a kid. Does the unit really have motorcycles that fire rockets and integral in, uh, machine guns? I, I think that was Mega Force, wasn't it? That was, uh, that was Chuck Norris, and no, we do not. Okay, damn it. Uh, uh, so, Force was the one with the flying motorcycles. I'm just saying. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, Andrew said, on an unrelated note, uh, how much would you guess, Jason, that it costs to buy a giraffe on the free market? And any guess will do. <laughs> this is from an old show. How much it costs to buy a what? A giraffe. A giraffe on the free market. <laughs> This is a what deep cut. Uh, say again? I think that's one of those things that if you have to ask, you can't afford it, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right, Jason. Uh, and I think I think that is it. Uh, we don't want to keep you too long because we know you're on yeah. a, a real time. Yeah, Jason, uh, I, I apologize for some of the audio issues we had today. Totally my fault. But I, I really appreciate you taking the time to um, spend you know an hour and a half with us here tonight. And um, I hope we can do it again another time. Um, have things planned out a little bit better for both, for all, all parties concerned. Uh, I always enjoy these conversations. I, I really appreciate the time, fellas. I do, and I, and I apologize that we can't uh, do this on into the night. But uh, it will, I, I, I hope we can do it again. Yeah, you got you got work to do, Jason. We yeah, so much. Yeah, we would love to, and thank you so much for your for your time. We really appreciate it. Likewise, fellas. I appreciate it, and, and thanks everybody out there who, who took the time to listen. It means a lot. Absolutely. We'll do it again sometime. Um, and Jason, if you need to sign out, feel free to, to take off now. Yeah. Okay. You guys take care. Take care, Bye, brother. Have a nice night. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. 
so hey, for everyone who joined us tonight, oh my god, look at that, that's crazy. Dave, take it. Yeah, hey, <laughs> thank you very much for everybody who joined us tonight. We have a couple of things real quick. Uh, we want to do a shout out. Um, if, uh, if you guys are political at all, and it doesn't matter if you're left or right, because this is a nonpartisan issue, um, if you want to write or call your senator and have them uh, kind of push uh, HR, uh, is that House Resolution? Uh, yeah. Uh, HR 8276. And what this is, is this is for Alwyn Cash. Uh, for those of you who don't know, A-L-W-Y-N-C-A-S-H-E. Um, Alwyn uh, passed in 2005. He won the Silver Star through his actions. Um, I believe it was a Bradley. His Bradley caught on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, he was the only person not uh, incapacitated. And he pulled, I, I think, nine soldiers out. Um, and I think the last going two, into the flames, yeah. And the last two, he was on fire while he was doing it. Uh, he was put in for a silver star. Uh, please read his story because and, and read about the man that he that he was uh, because he, he was a, yeah an amazing human being. He, he you know it's it, the story I think for so many people epitomizes the whole concept of selfless service, uh, self sacrifice. That he, he went into this burning vehicle over and over again yeah. to pull his soldiers out and. Uh, under fire. And he, he, what was that, that quote before he died? He, he told someone that, you know, I had to do it because my soul was saved, but I don't know about theirs. Right. Because he, he was a very strong Christian, apparently. Um, and that story just resonated with soldiers, you know, kind of at the, at the boots on the ground level for so many years. But, uh, you know, Mr. Cash has not been awarded the Medal of Honor. Correct. And, and, and if that is, from my understanding, it's not through any fault of his chain of command. It's, it's that nobody really knew what happened uh, because everybody involved was incapacitated at some point. Uh, his commander put him in for a silver star. Then when the story, when the, the men involved were actually like kind of able to talk about it and whatnot, um, the commander, you know, supported the idea of, of changing it to a Medal of Honor, but by that time, because of the way the military works, it was too late. It has to be done by you know, by a congressional and, approval. And now we are uh, five years past the event, right. so it takes an act of Congress okay. to get involved and, and get that process going again. Uh, and it has passed the House. Mm -hmm. It is on the Senate floor. They It was supposed to be voted on, I believe, today. Uh, and uh, it's been pushed because of uh, the um, uh, uh, Barrett confirmation okay. vote. Okay. Uh, or, or so this is what the Senate's saying. So, but please uh, reach out to, you know, and again, this is a nonpartisan issue. Um, we just, if, if you have an interest, please reach out to your representatives in the Senate and, and urge them to, you know, to focus on this and, and to get it done. His family deserves it. He deserves it. Uh, it you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a, it's a great cause. And you know, I have nothing to do. I can't say who deserves a Medal of Honor, who doesn't. But reading his story, reading the citation on the Silver Star, I mean, she should certainly be considered. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So, also, please uh, like this video if you like it. Uh, like this video if you like us. Like this video if you like Jason. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even if you hate us, uh, and please subscribe. Um, and we're you know we're up I think over a thousand subscribers mm -hmm. in the last twenty eight days. Like things are moving along for us. 
and we really appreciate every support. Yeah, and there's also a link to our Patreon page down in the in the description uh, where you get access to bonus segments with just about all of our guests. We had to let Jason go in this case, but for, uh, I mean, just about damn near every guest. There's bonus segments we do with them. So, uh, and there's also is there a link to Teespring? Yes, we have swag. Uh, there is a link to our Teespring. Um, and that's going to grow over time as I figure we out got how, merch. To, how to do the design work. Uh, get yourself, and we don't even have this stuff. We ordered it, but it's brand new. <laughs> so uh, get yourself a Team House coffee mug or a hoodie or a T-shirt. Um, there might even be a cell phone case. I'm not sure. Yeah, and you know, if you guys like that stuff, uh, you know, we'll uh, get some more designs on there. Yeah, and if you guys have any ideas or recommendations, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll happily take those. And on that note, too, I want to give a shout out to my friends. If you take a look at this shirt here, little Fallout guy, uh, all done up as a operator. Uh, the website is wayfarerarms.com. It's a couple friends of mine who are in the military, and then they were volunteers at the Peshmerga, and they started their. Oh, own. you also have the hoodie. Yeah, I'll show you the hoodie real quick too. Um, I got this stuff in the other day. Let's see my new hoodie here. Um, those they're they're good friends of mine. They'll probably be guests on this podcast at some point. Um, I just want to give them a shout out what they're doing, and I mean, there's some really funny T-shirts they have on there. So check them out. And uh, next week we will. <laughs> next week BK is going to be on the show. Brian uh, is a, our former PJ, a pararescue guy, um, a very opinionated young man. Um, so I timed him just right before the election. So we are pretty apolitical on the show. We don't talk about presidential politics and all that kind of jazz. You know, we kind of stay in our wheelhouse. But I have to warn everyone, next week, it's no holds barred. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. It's going to be like, you know, mud wrestling. I don't, I don't know what, what, you know, it's going to be bare knuckle brawl. Um, I posted the picture to Brian already. Of the two uh, UFC fighters, where they're like, you know, pre-game in it, and they're like nose to nose with each other, and, well, they, that, and they both have huge erections. There's nothing wrong with they're that. Touching their tips. Do like they do mud wrestling anywhere other than military towns? I don't know, brother. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, next next episode, it is a bit of a departure from our normal, uh, you know, our normal uh, segment. So, but we will also talk about Paris because we have not yeah, had a PJ on uh, thus far, and. Uh, their training is, is very arduous. I mean, you know, academically speaking. I mean, physically, they're Air Force. So oh yeah, no, I'm and just they're, kidding. They're, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. And they're they're very you know super highly trained uh, medics. So no, I'm I'm really happy to have Brian on. I, I've known him for a long time. You know, really good guy. Um, as much of a troll as he is. <laughs> we'll get we'll get into all of it next episode. And guys, again, I apologize that we had some audio issues with uh, with Jason today. He's a really good guy, really good cat, and um, we'll have him on again. And in the meantime, we'll try to get some of this stuff ironed out. So thank you everyone for spending some time with us tonight, and uh, we'll see you next Friday. That's that's, <laughs> Thanks, guys. that's freaking me out too. All right, see you guys next time. Buy our stuff. All right, that's it. We're out. That was great, man.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.